Thank you for this great new study we're about to embark on. I pray that you will use it, Lord, to change us. And I just pray you'll um, guide the words that I say. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I know you all come here for my humor in the first place. (laughs) It's getting really tough. You know, if you come across funny things, pass them on to me. I've had this one for years. And I'm not, I'm making no reference to my mother in this, okay, because my mother taught me these things. It's actually struck me funny because I say, I remember saying these things to my children. So the premise is things my my mom taught me to appreciate. Well, my mother taught me to appreciate a job well done. If you're going to kill each other, do it outside. I just finished cleaning. (laughs) My mother taught me religion. You better pray that that will come out of the carpet. And uh, my mother taught me irony. Keep crying and I'll give you something to cry about. Man, I said that a lot of times. (laughs) You think you're scared now? You come in our bedroom again at 2 in the morning. You'll have a reason to be scared. Um, My mother taught me about stamina. You'll sit here till that spinach is gone. Uh, She taught me about anticipation. Just wait till we get home. Uh, My mother taught me humor. (laughs) When that lawnmower cuts off your toes, don't come running to me. (laughs) My mother taught me how to become an adult. If you don't eat your vegetables, you'll never grow up. And my mother taught me about my roots. Shut that door behind you. Do you think you were born in a barn? And she taught me about justice. One day you'll have kids, and I hope they turn out just like you. So anyways, not that anyone here ever said that to their kids. I did. Well. Moving on to Joshua 1, (laughs) it's a great privilege really to study this book of Joshua this semester. I know that you know all scripture is God-breathed, inspired by him, and profitable for correction and instruction and righteousness. Paul wrote in Romans 15.4, whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. I think we could all use a good dose of hope in our lives and in our world that we live in. We need to be reminded that studying every book of the Bible that God has preserved for us is of great benefit to our spiritual lives. All the chapters of this book have been inspired, um, the book of the Bible, and have been preserved to help us to walk with him. So there are many relevant truths to apply to our own lives and principles that we will see and take away in our study and be able to apply so that we obey. So I plead with you not to grow weary of Joshua and want to quit, especially when everybody's killing everybody. But this is God's word, and we have, will benefit spiritually from studying it. And before we get into the text for today... Let's review a little bit of the history that brought Joshua to this place as the leader of the nation of Israel. As you know, this is the first of 12 historical books written by, this one was written by Joshua as he was the eyewitness to everything that he recorded. Joshua becomes Israel's first military leader. In Exodus 17, he'll recall the mass exodus out of Egypt and crossing through the middle of the Red Sea safely. But as you know, it didn't take long for complaining to start. And they complained against Moses. And Joshua witnessed the rebellion of this people. He witnessed their ungrateful, faithless hearts. And they soon found themselves under attack from Amalek. And you recall Joshua was the general 
who led in that fight and Moses' arms got tired and they'd win and so on. But Joshua learned there that the sword is not the key to victory, the rather the power is God. Joshua then accompanied Moses at Mount Sinai in Exodus 24. So he saw the reality of God. He saw a glimpse of the glory of God. And Joshua witnessed the golden calf rebellion in Exodus 32. You recall Moses and Joshua coming down from the mountain when the Ten Commandments had been given. And Joshua hears all of the noise. He thinks the people are under attack from a a war. But sadly, the noise was a rebellious group of people worshiping a golden calf. You got to love how Aaron said it just, you know, we threw in the jewelry and out popped a calf. And so, you know, it must be God's will. So anyways, the, ang- the anger of Moses and the defiance of the people uh, are experiences that were used by God to teach and prepare Joshua for his future role as leader. And then there was Joshua at the tabernacle with Moses in Exodus 33, where the Lord spoke face to face with Moses. And Joshua witnessed this. He learned of the glory of God and absolute truth of his power to guide people through this life. And then, of course, we're most familiar with Caleb and Joshua as the spies sent out by Moses to check out the promised land. And it was only Caleb and Joshua who gave the favorable report. They believed God would do what he said he would do. We will be able to conquer the land. But you know the ten uh, said, no, it's scary. They're fortified. They're giants. We can't do it. And so the people's hearts followed the ten. Early on then, Joshua learned that even the majority was against him. And he must be willing to stand with God and his word, even if he's the only one. The people wanted to stone him at this point. So Joshua got a very early lesson on how wicked rebellion is towards God. None of this, that generation would ever enter the promised land as a result of their unbelief and their complaining, ungrateful, defiant hearts towards God. So only Joshua and Caleb would be part of leading the next generation into Canaan. I was thinking about it because my joke last week was, you know, a 104-year-old woman said, you know, the great thing is I have no peer pressure. Well, this is certainly the case with Caleb and Joshua because they're the only old people going into the promised land. Anyways, Joshua then is ordained in Numbers 27. After years of preparation, Joshua was to be God's choice for the leader in place of Moses. His calling was from God. He wasn't self-appointed to lead the nation. Moses gave his farewell address to the people. And again, we're reminded, you know what? No one is indispensable. No one. Moses passed on leadership to Joshua. And I like how one author put it. God expects every generation to get up on its own feet and face its own problems. God does not want us to stand around saying, well, look now, look at Moses. Now there was a great man. Will we, ever, will we never have another man like Moses? But Moses is dead. Great man that he was, he, he's dead. Get up and face the problems of your day and your age. Arise and go over this Jordan. Do not long for the past, do the work of the present. And God says, I will be with you, end of quote. So God prepares a person for the leadership task that he has for him or her to do. Moses had his 40 years isolated in a desert. Joshua had his many years of preparation as well. So we need to be reminded that God has a work for each of us to do for his glory. Ephesians 2.10 reminds us works that have been ordained before our birth. And the difficulties and the trials that God allows to come into our lives are all preparation to make us more useful for the things he has us to do. 
whether it is the home that you grew up in that left you with tons of emotional baggage, or physical suffering that you are enduring, or financial burdens weighing you down, or conflicts with people, God is growing your faith and your endurance for greater service for him. Joshua had been prepared by God for leadership role, and now he has going to be the military general and the leader of this people. He was up there in years, let's face it. None of us, as I said, as friends or peers are left. All had died of that generation. They had seen the miracles in Egypt. They had walked through dry land in the middle of the Red Sea, but they're all gone. Only Caleb and Joshua believed the Lord, and now they're alive to see the Lord fulfill. So that brings us to the commission of Joshua in verses 1 through 9. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the sons of Israel, every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses." So in these opening verses of the book, it's very important because they connect us with the last five books of the Bible, the first five books of the Bible written by Moses, known as the Torah or the Pentateuch. And that brings us to the next step in Israel's history. Joshua, who would have been alive when Moses recorded the Pentateuch, recognizes that these are not just books recorded by Moses, but they are the inspired word of God to be obeyed. And after the death of Moses, the people had mourned for 30 days, and now God speaks to Joshua, Moses' servant, which literally the word is his minister or his servant. Joshua learned to be a servant before he was a leader. And that is how God still works today. How many great leaders, if you read their biographies, that God has used throughout history have started out humbly cleaning toilets or doing whatever menial tasks need to be done, all in preparation as for God to use in leading. Joshua is told to arise and cross the Jordan with this huge camp of people into the land that God has promised. And he commissioned uh, Joshua to go into the promised land to defeat the enemies that they would encounter and to claim the inheritance God had promised to them. In verse 3, God assures Joshua of his promises that Israel would indeed enter the land. And for centuries, you know, those promises were reaffirmed. Originally given to Abraham in Genesis 12 and 15, repeated to his son Isaac and Jacob, all the way down to the last words of Moses. So God would take them over the Jordan in a miraculous way, and they would be in enemy territory where God will enable them to claim this promised land. The promise from God is true and it's real and the people needed to believe that promise and step out in faith as their feet walked on this land. In verse 4, God gives the borders of the land promised to Israel, which did not reach their full potential really ever, but the closest to reaching it was when David and Solomon were reigning as kings. The land conquered and possessed by Israel under Joshua was much less than the land God planned for them to have. Not only was the land including present modern-day Israel, but it included large portions of Lebanon, Syria, uh, Jordan, and Iraq as well. During the time of David, it was only the outlying districts of the land that Joshua was promised that were in the sphere of influence of Israel, but not under its rule. God's promise to Joshua still awaits complete fulfillment. 
And although the land was God's gift to Israel, it would be won by obedience to his word and hard fighting and work and trust. They were to march on every part of this land. Joshua had seen much of it 40 years earlier, and now at long last he is going to lead this army into Canaan to possess the land. So a lesson for us to learn is that God is faithful to his promises. But the reason all of this land was not conquered earlier in the first place was because of disobedience, unbelief, apathy, griping, complaining. Think about the spiritual blessings that we have described for us in Ephesians 1, and yet how many believers fail to possess or appropriate all that God has blessed us do, uh, blessed us with due to our own grumbling, complaining, and lack of belief. Look at verse 5. <clears throat> no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. What a great promise. And this promise to Joshua of a lifetime of victory over enemies is based on God's unfailing presence and on his power. The promise, I will not fail you or forsake you, could be translated as well, I will not drop you, I will never abandon you. And isn't it interesting that the same promise of God's abiding presence is quoted for us in Hebrews 13, verse 5, in, as a solution to the sin of being covetousness and discontent. We read in Hebrews, make sure your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, and here's our quote from Joshua, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What shall man do to me? So what an incredible reminder to us to bring us hope and comfort that we can live life without fear, live life on his promises that he'll never leave us or desert us. We are not left to figure out life on our own. He will never forsake those who are his children. What incredible hope we have. Now, God gives Joshua the call to have courage. Three times, this is reiterated. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give to them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you'll make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So in verse 6, God calls Joshua to be strong, to be courageous because of the promise of the land. He is going to need strength. He's going to need help and wisdom as a military leader of the campaign ahead. But, and he's going to need courage for the task. Knowing God had promised this land to their fathers, he was to step out and trust him. God would fulfill his promise that he had made it clear to the covenant he had with Abraham and his descendants that this was their land to possess. Joshua was promised victory, but that didn't mean he was just going to sit around and hang out in his tent. As Charles Spurgeon put it, Joshua was not to use the promise of, as a couch upon which his indolence might luxuriate, but as a girdle to gird up his loins for future activity. Again, reiterated in verse 7, 
have courage. And how would Joshua have courage for the task ahead of him? The strength and courage that he's going to need will come from meditating on the word of God and believing its promises and obeying its commands. This book of the law was recognized as complete authority. The key to any life having success is found in obedience to the revealed word of God. We have much more revealed to us than the first five books of Moses that Joshua had to go on. We read in Psalm 1 that the blessed man is the one who meditates day and night. It's the exact same thought here. The scriptures are to be a continual thing that we reflect upon so we know its meaning and the result is we ought to obey it. The truth is it takes more strength of character to obey God's word than to win a military battle. And if you wonder why you have struggles to obey the word of God while we're living in a fallen world and fallen bodies, so it's a challenge at the get-go, but it also may be directly related to the lack of time being meditating in the word of God. Constant and careful observing of the word of God is what leads to obedience. Lack of study, lack of time in the word, that's what brings about lack of obedience. So when we see in verse 8 that God tells Joshua that if he wants to be prosperous and have success in the conquest of Canaan, then he is needing to do the following. First of all, do not let the law of the Lord depart out of your mouth. Rather, he was to talk about it continually. Secondly, thank you. Okay, so secondly, he was to meditate on it day and night. So thinking about it continually. Thirdly, he was to obey its commands and live according to it and keep it diligently. So verse 8 is a great verse. I hope you've all memorized this at some point in your life. And if you haven't, you need to. Because it is completely applicable to you and I. It's so similar to the teaching in Psalm 1 verse 2. Every believer is to delight in the word and meditate in it day and night. So when you wake up in the night, when you're trying to fall asleep in the night, when you wake up in the morning, throughout the day, a life that pleases the Lord comes from the word of God being thought about, being studied, being obeyed. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. I mean, how is it going to do that if you're not ever thinking about it? We read but in the Psalm, Psalm 1, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Same concept. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. So, lady, there's no shortcut to having stability in our lives um, unless we have time spent in the word every day. I guess the question really we have to ask ourselves is in what do we delight? Is our delight in life our things, our possessions, the people in our lives, the pleasures, the hobbies, the trips? Or is the word of God the priority, the only way to have courage to live a life without fear dominating your everyday life is by following this very clear instruction given by Joshua in verse 8 here, as well as the psalmist. It is applicable to all who claim to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is how we are to do life. We read again in verse 9 that God calls Joshua to be strong and courageous because of the promised presence of the Lord. You know, Israel was about to face armies of far greater skill and equipment and walls of protection. So Joshua needed this threefold reminder not to be afraid and to have courage. 
God's promises are trustworthy, they are dependable, they are sufficient for us to do life on earth. Certainly Joshua would have feelings of weakness or inadequacy in the days ahead. They would face enemies with highly fortified cities and walls that had protected or, and, and seasoned warriors far beyond the skills of Israel. But the presence of God would change everything. So when difficult days come, we, like Joshua, must continually fall back on the promises of God. If you don't know the promises, you have nothing to fall back on except your own thinking. And that's really dangerous. As one man stated, one plus God equals a majority. And that was the case. Mothers have a really big job teaching their children about what true success is and what that really looks like. Life is not about making good grades so you can get into a great college, so you can graduate and get a great job, so you can make a lot of money, so you can buy a lot of things. That's the world's version of success. But that's not God's definition. You will be prosperous and have good success when you meditate on God's word and when you obey it. So we have to guard our own hearts that we aren't deceived by the world's view of what success looks like. Well, that brings us to the conquest of the land and preparation. Then John, uh, Joshua rather commanded the officers of the people. Remember, Jethro, Moses' uh, father-in-law, had said, you, you got to set up more convenient ways for you to deal with people and problems and issues. So they divided the nation into hundreds and fifties and tens that people were over. <clears throat> so he gathers these leaders saying, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, saying, prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days you are to cross this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess it. So the new leader, Joshua, takes charge of the situation. Moses had taken charge when they faced a, a crisis, a dilemma at the Red Sea. Egypt's army is attacking and the Red Sea is in front of them. And now this next generation is facing challenges as well and forcing them to depend on their all-powerful God. But first of all, provisions had to be gathered to prepare the people and all their animals. Also, officers of the people had to be established, as we saw under Moses, are now called upon to go throughout the people they're responsible for and spread the word. We're picking up, we're moving out. We've got three days to get ready. It's estimated that it's close to 2 million people here to mobilize. So this is not an easy thing to do. They had three days to prepare and cross the Jordan. In verse 12, Joshua addresses the two and a half tribes uh, that had already claimed their inheritance on the east side of the Jordan River. Re Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh had determined that they would be on the east side of the Jordan River because it was such great land for grazing their animals. And Moses had agreed to go ahead and let them do that under certain conditions named in Numbers and Deuteronomy to, that they had to fight alongside their brothers once they crossed over the Jordan until the land was taken. Then they could go back home. So about 40,000 men from these two and a half tribes that were valiant warriors joined the rest of the Israel in crossing while the rest remained home to protect the women and children. So they kept their word to Moses. So it had been about 40 years since Joshua had spoken to the nation of Israel, telling them to go in and possess the land. And as you know, that generation and its leaders had not listened, and they're all dead. So now their children have grown, and they're the new generation. They are ready to believe God. They're ready to conquer this land. May none of us ever be like their former generation, set in our ways, obstructing God's plans, 
unbelieving, ungrateful, and full of complaining. Our heroes ought to be the men like Caleb and Joshua. Now they were the only older men, as I said, about to enter the camp, but they went with great enthusiasm and leadership and faith. What a great ministry for Joshua that really began in earnest in his old age. <clears throat> the response of the people then is seen in verse 16. They answered Joshua saying, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your command and does not obey your word and all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. What an encouraging response that had to be for Joshua. The people were behind him. They were with him. They assured him they're going to follow his orders. Notice they said all his commands to go wherever God would send them. So they had no personal agenda of things that were more important. Not only were they willing to obey his leadership, but we see in verse 17, they were really praying for him. They had followed Moses, and now they affirm they will follow Joshua. Everyone has leaders in their lives, whether we like having a leader or not. I mean, that's you, you're born into a family, and the people raising you are the leaders in your life at that point. You grow up, if you're married, you have a husband, and you are commanded to follow him and for him to be your leader, for you to respect him. It's interesting in Titus, First Timothy talking about wives, when we fail to follow their leadership, when we fail to obey and submit, we are blaspheming the name of Christ and the gospel. So it is critical. Every believer should be part of a local church where they're follow, following the leadership there. And if you're a boss, if you have a boss, rather, you are to submit to that leadership. This is God's order. So no matter the case, one of the best things we can do for the responsible, those responsible in leading us, is to pray for them. There will be no success without prayer. How faithfully do you pray for your spouse or your church leaders or your employers? As Corey Ten Boone asked, is prayer your steering wheel or is it your spare tire? Is it the first thing you go to or the last? Because now you're in big trouble. The people of Israel gave wholehearted support to Joshua. They pledged loyalty. They pledged obedience, saying, Only may the Lord your God be with you wherever you send us, we will go. So the men also encouraged Joshua by um, assuring him that obedience was really a matter of life and death. Because if those who refused to obey, they said, We will make sure that that sin doesn't spread in our camp. In truth, our sin always affects innocent people. Obedience to God and his word is not about doing so when it's convenient to us or goes along with what we think should be done or how we're feeling. We are to obey when it is hard, when you have to bite your lip or stop your words from flowing out, or when it costs you a great deal. One person's sin impacts everybody else's around them, just as one person's obedience <laughs> impacts for the good. I think we fail to see how critical it is that we choose to obey even when we don't feel like it or even when we don't agree with the decision that was made. Our example is Jesus Christ himself. Second Peter, I mean 1 Peter 2, who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And then you know, the very next verse is, in the same way, you wives, 
submit to your husbands in the same way that Christ submitted to do the will of God, even though at great cost. <clears throat> the men finished by reminding Joshua, be strong and courageous. So if Joshua was faithful to meditate day and night on the truths of God's word and obey it, he would then lead this large Jewish assembly into the promised land and God is going to bring them incredible success. So each of us are to be strong and courageous as well as we face uncertainty of every kind in our life. The promises of God are faithful. They are true. They need to consume our thought life. We're told in Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So we're told the same thing Joshua was told. We are not a part of the nation of Israel. We're not about to go out to war. But scripture makes it clear, we are in a continual spiritual battle, and we too need to be prepared for battle daily. We need to put on the full armor of God, and you know our only offensive weapon is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I think these military leaders here are a wonderful example to us. They spoke to Joshua with words of encouragement, and Joshua could be a godly leader only because of his continual walk with the Lord, meditating day and night, obeying the word of the Lord. When Moses died, Joshua stepped right into that leadership position and he inspired confidence. He listened to God and they could see in him, him being their leader. So if we are to be godly leaders to others, and inevitably you are to somebody, <clears throat> if we are to be a godly people who submit to authority, it can only happen when we meditate day and night on the revealed word of God and be careful to do all that is written in it. That is the only way you're going to have success and be prosperous spiritually. And that means then, I think, that we work, need to work more on memorizing scripture so you're able to actually have something to meditate on. <laughs> it's, it's a thought, but we need to know specifics. I find it very helpful filling my mind in those blank times when you're doing dishes or vacuuming, whatever, to be listening to music. It's not necessarily God's word, but music based on God's word. That brings encouragement, helps your mind to be focusing on the promises of God when you're feeling very much distressed. So going home today, believing the truth that he will not fail you or forsake you ought to give you great hope. That is the truth for all who have placed their trust and confidence in the one true God to be forgiven of their sins. He is the one who makes possible for us to be cleansed only because of his sacrifice he made on behalf of sinners on the cross. So will you make it your priority to spend time thinking of the word? I mean, you know when you have that free moment of time, where do your thoughts go? Is it anywhere but the word? Then you shouldn't be surprised at the ongoing struggle and failures in your life. Will you make it your priority to spend time thinking on the word today? Will you choose to walk by faith and believe the promises of God? He said, I will never fail you. I will never forsake you. You're never alone. How many times we feel utterly alone? But we're not. So think on what's true. Let it dictate to you how you live and move, not your feelings. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this book that we are about to uh, study this semester. I thank you for the practical principles. I thank you for including it in the canon of scripture. And I pray that we would 
trust you, we'd, we'd recognize truth and principles to apply in our own lives. So I pray that we would be Joshua 1.8, that your book of the law will not go out of our mouth. We'll meditate on it day and night, Lord, that we will be careful to do everything written in it. And that is the way we will be prosperous. That is the way we will have success in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, ladies.